Welcome to another episode of Uncle Pete's Storytime. I am your friend, Uncle Pete. Hope you're having a good day. Today's story comes from my days at Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon. The name of the story is called November 16th, 1991. It tells a tale of football and chasing girls and playing volleyball over at Dixon Rec Center. There's actually a song that accompanies it that I made up a while ago. And that'll come at the end of the story. So without further ado, or further ado, don't, here comes November 16th, 1991. Ugh, when did we get Little Caesars last night? Was the first thing out of my mouth that morning that I woke up in an unfamiliar parking lot. Well, technically the first thing out of my mouth was the Little Caesars pizza and the remainder of the Henry Weinhardt's private reserve in my stomach, which I had forcefully sent splattering onto said parking lot that I did not yet recognize. This was game day, though, at OSU, and a few of my friends from the dorm were going over to see the Beavers take on the best team in the Pac-10, back then it was the Pac-10, the eventual national champion, Washington Huskies. When I woke up in the parking lot, I looked around and squinted and looked around some more and noticed that I was, in fact, in the parking lot of Parker Stadium. But it was early enough in the morning, or late enough at night, I guess, that people weren't coming into the stadium yet. I sat there until the earth slowed down just enough for me to get up onto my knees and empty out everything else that there might have been in my stomach. I can't be sure, but I think I vomited up a shoe. Then I stood up and I walked back to the direction of my dorm anyway, Finley Hall, which, as luck would have it, is diagonally across Ralph Miller Lane from what was then known as Parker Stadium, now called Reeser. My sweater was soaked, and my hair was filled with sand and gravel from my little parking lot nap. I opened my dorm room door as quietly as I can. My my roommate Doug was still asleep, but he opened one eye when I opened the door, and He began cackling with laughter at the sight of me shuffling in like a two-legged version of a wrecked car rolling into the body shop. I grabbed a towel and my bathrobe and scooted down the hall to the shower, literally scooted like a dog who has worms. I showered up, staggered back to the rack to crash for a bit. After what seemed like just five minutes, Doug says, Wake up, dumbass. We're going to McDonald's. So I got up and I put on some clothes and we piled into our buddy Steve's blazer to go get some hangover killing fast food. Don't puke in my car, Pete, or I swear to God I'll stab you in the leg with a number two pencil until you die of graphite poisoning. Steve gave good instructions. Doug continued to howl at me with laughter as we rolled up 9th Street to get some QPC therapy, which is what we called getting a quarter pounder with cheese to mop up any residual booze that might be hanging out. Drinking's fun, huh, baby cakes, Doug said, still howling with laughter at my pain. He called me baby cakes because one day a girl from our dorm that I sometimes worked out with named Carrie walked past me and Doug in the hallway, and when I said, hey, Carrie, she said, hey, baby cakes, and swatted me on the butt. That also made Doug laugh until he about wet his pants. Doug was from farming, ranching, and timber country in eastern Oregon, where you had to be tough. And he was a very tough guy, but he enjoyed laughter. 
especially a laugh at my expense or any young kids finding their way. Anytime I did anything stupid, it brought him such tremendous joy. Now Steve was from Carson, Washington, which is just across the Columbia River from Stevenson, Oregon, on the Columbia River Gorge. He was a forest science major who loved cutting down trees, watching football, and pretty much anything he didn't have to pay for. Steve's uncle was the mayor of Corvallis at the time we started school, and somehow that helped Steve qualify for in-state tuition, even though he was technically from out of state. That scratched Steve's cheapness right where it itched. As I powered down my third, maybe fourth large Sprite and my second order of fries, we started talking about that day's game. Now, keeping in mind, the Beavers were biblically terrible at that point. They were so bad that if you had 50-yard line tickets and you left them on the dashboard of your car, there was a pretty good chance that somebody was going to break into your car and leave you two more tickets. Think the Beavers can keep the Huskies under 70? Doug asked, and no one in particular. We knew some of the players on the Beavers roster because they had lived in our dorm. Our favorite was the Beavers nose tackle, Tom Holmes. Tom was an even six feet tall and about 295 to 310, depending on how much pizza was available. Basically, he looked like one of those bulldogs from the Bugs Bunny cartoons with a chest like a couple of whiskey barrels nailed together and a head like an anvil. Strong dude. He held the OSU single rep bench press record at over 500 pounds, and he could bang out four to six reps at 440 like most people do with just the bar. Now, he'd have to try to get past Lincoln Kennedy this day, UW's All-American offensive lineman. Now, another former Finley resident, an outcast who had lived in Finley the year before, who was another friend of ours and a favorite, Another little ball of muscle, actually, more like a pit bull, though. Five foot ten and a legit two twenty, fullback Chris Morton. Now Morton got kicked out of Finley Hall because it was a so-called health and wellness dorm, so alcohol was not allowed. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And Chris might have missed that memo. There he was on weekends, blaring his Andrew Dice Clay CDs and laughing drinking schnapps straight out of the bottle, smoking Swisher sweet cigars, blowing the smoke out the window, because that fooled everybody, talking to the people walking down below and anybody who was out in the hall. One night during the routine walkthrough, our uh, resident advisor saw Chris drinking and smoking because, bless his heart, Morton left the door to his room wide open. The RA, whose name also happened to be Chris, but he was far more effeminate, said, Chris put out that cigar. So Morton threw it out the window and emptied out that bottle. So Morton obliged and started chugging it down rather than pouring it out the window like the RA had wanted. Chris, the RA, stormed off in frustration. It wasn't too long after that that Morton was living off campus. See, Morton was uh, from San Jose and he called everybody dude and he got hit in the head a lot. I think that explained a good deal about his behavior. But he really did call everybody dude. But Chris loved the dorm situation, so much so he'd walk up and down the hall, Hey dude, hey dude, dude, what are you up to? Hey, what's going on dude? Dude, you guys want to go work out, dude? If he was standing at the urinal rocking a piss and somebody walked in, he would turn, continuing to urinate, 
just to see who was coming in the door and say, hey dude, as he peed all over the floor. Now if a player was late to class and a coach found out about it, players got something that was called Dawn Patrol, a grueling early morning series of workouts like running stairs, bear crawling the length of the field, hundreds of up-downs, which are like burpees, but you never stop running in place. Two of my dorm buddies and I had U.S. history with Chris, and if he was ever late to class, even if no coach had even been in the building, we'd tell Morton, hey man, coach was here, to which he'd say, dude, oh dude, dude, are you serious? Dude, 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 oh dude, dude, I don't want to do Dawn Patrol again, dude. And the next morning, he'd go to Dawn Patrol and the coaches would check their list and not find his name, but then say, well, Chris, if you're here, you must have broken some rule, so get to work. Oh, dude. It got so easy to trick him into ending up at Dawn Patrol, we stopped after a while because it just seemed cruel. Like I mentioned, the Beavers were terrible. And this was the first year of the Coach Jerry Pettibone era. Now, Pettibone had come to OSU after turning around the woebegone Northern Illinois Huskies and getting them to their first ever bowl game. And he was tasked with turning around an OSU Beavers program which had not experienced a winning season in well over 20 years at that point. The streak would reach 28 years before the magical 1999 season took place. One small hiccup that was that Pettibones ran a triple option, double slot back offense, kind of a modified wishbone. And the previous coach, Dave Cragthorpe, was a pass-happy coach, air attack, pass first, pass second, pass third, then usually punt kind of guy. So finding a quarterback who could run Pettibone's offense and bonus not get killed behind an offensive line that was still learning how to run this scheme was quite the challenge. And that made our buddy Chris Morton very important to the program because as the fullback, he had exactly four variables to navigate. Either get a handoff or sell the fake and then dive left or dive right, either with or without the ball. That was it. End of responsibilities. Well, the Huskies are going to the Rose Bowl, so only they can stop themselves from scoring 70 today, lamented Steve. Steve was in his third year of school and he'd seen some really bad football. He was strong as a bull himself, played high school football, and he helped me roll a passed out drunk off of my feet at a game the year before, just before said drunk wet his pants. Good guy to have around, Steve was. Ah, hell, at least going to the game's free, he said, betraying his cheap nature. The QPC therapy was starting to work, and I asked Doug if and Steve, if they remembered anything I had done the night before. Doug said after we played volleyball over at Dixon, the rest of us uh, just watched a movie. You're the one that went off chasing that girl, baby cakes. Okay, okay, good. Yes, yes, the girl, of course. Okay, good, the girl, yeah. Patty, I, okay. So Patty was introduced to me by my friend Jenny. Jenny was from Mill City, Oregon, which is between nowhere and goodbye on the way to Detroit Lake near Salem. Well, Staten, Sublimity, yeah, nowhere and goodbye. Well, Jenny and I had gone on a couple of dates before she told me she wanted to just be friends, but she was a good friend and she always introduced me to girls that she thought I might be more compatible with than her. Well, that particular Friday night that I couldn't remember anymore, Jenny told me that Patty was coming to a party 
over at their house. Now I had a speech class with Patty, and I thought she was really cute, and she gave fantastic speeches. I mean, to me her speeches sounded a lot like Charlie Brown's teacher because I got lost in her honey-colored hair and her piercing blue eyes, and I assumed the speeches were good too. So after we wrapped up a game of volleyball, which is basically volleyball and racquetball married and played on a racquetball court, I showered up, put on my 501s, and my charcoal waffle knit sweater splashed on a squirt of Drakkar Noir because 1991, and away I went into the Corvallis Friday night walking over to Jenny's house just about a half mile or so up Western Boulevard. Fortunately, it wasn't raining, which was uncommon for that time of year. Jenny introduced me around to some of her other friends, and I made polite small talk, keeping an eye out for Patty. I recognized some of the people from my classes, and it was a cool time, good vibe. I had a Henry Weinhardt's private reserve. I was only 20, but even so, as an Oregonian, I had some standards in beer. The microbrew craze hadn't really taken hold yet. Heck, McMinimins was even still in its infancy. But I grew more nervous as I knew Patty was coming, and Jenny told me that Patty didn't have a boyfriend, and she thought I was kind of funny. So I hung around with Jenny and her boyfriend Dave, and had two, maybe three, no more than four, five on the outside, more Henry's. And then Patty walked in, black leather jacket, red t-shirt, light blue jeans, black cowgirl boots. I may have said hi, I may not have, hell I don't know. Someone in the small crowd yelled, Huck the Fuskies, which was a clever way of saying what we really wanted to say, and then we all took a drink. Well, I was spitting some mad game at Patty, or at least that's what my sixth or seventh, no more than eighth Henry Weinhardt's told me. We chatted as Bob Marley's legend, Greatest Hits CD, the soundtrack to any great party, played in the background. Patty and I sipped on some beers and danced around in the garage and we talked about her being from Roseburg and me being only 95 miles away from Medford. The verbal milk was flowing. Her blue eyes danced around as she laughed at my silly stories. Unfortunately, everyone in the house kept drinking and drinking, drinking some more. Every time my hand had an empty Henry's bottle, a full one just magically appeared. Somewhere later in the evening, Couldn't say when. Patty and her two friends decided that they would be leaving, but I was invited to walk them back to their apartment. Yes! I was walking home the girl I liked on a Friday night. The lights from the heavens shone down, the C major chord was struck, it was go time. One minor detail. I couldn't walk especially well at this point, feel my legs, or find my coat, or remember if I even had a coat, but by God, Patty asked me to walk her and her friends home, and that's what I was going to do, because I am a gentleman. The Saturday game was a one o'clock kickoff, and because the Huskies were a great team, it was regionally televised on ABC with Keith Jackson. Oh, Nelly! Now, a TV game at Parker Stadium meant a noon or 1 p.m. kickoff, because... The lights at Parker Stadium were so substandard that they were insufficient for television broadcast. I happily let the contents of my QPC therapy settle into my stomach as we waited for our buddy Dan to show up to go to the game with us. Dan had a Boda bag, which was 
never checked by security. Boda bags are essentially soft canteens that you fill up with booze and security waves you through. Everybody knows what's going on, but it's one of those winking and nodding type of situations. Then you watch the beavers get hammered while you got hammered. We filled up Dan's Boda bag with Jack Daniels and off we went. The opening kickoff was delivered by Jamie Burke himself from Roseburg, Oregon. In fact, I think Patty and I had mentioned that and I think she knew him. Burke's kick was fumbled by the Huskies' return team at about the two, maybe three-yard line. And Oregon State got the ball, and they were in business. Starting quarterback Ian Shields had broken a toe, so his backup, Matt Boer, was given the gift of a first and goal to start the game. The Beavers effortlessly marched backward about 20 yards on their first three downs, and then on their fourth down, Burke booted a 35-yarder to put OSU in front of the by God first place undefeated number one nationally ranked University of Washington Huskies 3-0. It was the only time a Pac-10 team scored first on the Huskies that entire season. Now all we needed was a tornado or plane crashing onto the field, second coming of Christ, whatever it took to end the game at that point. Alas, no natural disaster, aircraft incident, or rapture was forthcoming. And the Huskies scored the next 58 points. After the first remarkably easy Huskies touchdown, Doug said, Hey, baby cakes, go to concessions and get us some Cokes to put the Jack Daniels in. We're going to need it today. How right he was. All things considered, the Beavers' defense held their own, but they were in the shadow of their own goal line about 90% of the day. We got a glimpse of just how it would be in the second quarter when it was already out of hand, something like 35-3. to Our friend Tom Holmes, the refrigerator on legs, got low and appeared to have leverage on the future All-Pro Lincoln Kennedy, but Kennedy raised up his humongous arms and brought them down squarely on Tommy's shoulder pads with such force that it buckled his knees like he was a rickety ladder. On the plus side, our friend Chris Morton, the fullback, ran for 48 yards by taking the ball and either diving left or diving right, and Jamie Burke tacked on another field goal in garbage time in the 58-6 thrashing. The Huskies kind of took their foot off the gas at halftime. Doug, Dan, Steve, and I stayed the whole game. I mean, we had Jack Daniels to drink, for heaven's sake. But we moved down a little bit closer to the field every time the Huskies score and more students left. When it was all over, we yelled down at our friend Morton, and he heard us, and he looked up in the stands and said, Hey, dude. Frankly, it could have been anyone that he was talking to, but we felt like it was for us. Then we walked back over to Finley, nicely toasted, but still mostly composed and my dorm room telephone rang. It was Jenny, wishing me good luck on my date tonight with Patty. I said, uh, whew, thanks, um, thanks? And I asked her if she knew by any chance where Patty and I were going or what we were doing. Jenny laughed and laughed, and then she finally said, well, according to her, you're getting pizza at Woodstock's around seven, and then just kind of seeing where it goes from there. Awesome. Or uh, am I picking her up or uh, meeting her there? What are we doing? Oh, you're meeting her there uh, just in case she needs to leave or anything. Fantastic. Uh, what are our plans from then on? 
Jenny laughed at me and said, you're on your own, big guy. So I cleaned up, put on my cleanest dirty Levi's, and drove my 1988 Corolla up to Woodstock's just in time for Patty to drive up in her 1988 Corolla. I couldn't help but wonder if that had come up the night before when we were talking. We hugged, and she smiled and told me I smelled good because, hey, Drakkard War in 1991. We talked and laughed about stuff, about being from Southern Oregon and various classes we took at OSU. And I tried vainly to remember just what had happened the night before, but I went along pretty well and we decided to go to a movie. Couldn't tell you what it was because, quite frankly, I was lost in Patty's eyes and her hair and her perfume. And, well, frankly, uh, I couldn't to this day tell you what movie we saw. But we drove back over to Woodstock's, got over to her car, and as I walked her to her car, she gave me a little kiss and said, we may go on more dates, or we may not. Postscript, uh, we didn't. But I'll tell you this much, that pizza was sure a hell of a lot better than the Little Caesars we got after you walked me home last night. And that's kind of how... Uh, November nineteen, uh, November 16th, 1991 went. And now, I uh, don't know how this is going to sound. If it sounds terrible, I'll edit it out later, I reckon. But this is the uh, song that I wrote based on that, uh, that weekend experience. It's called Nights in Corvallis. It's the first semi-non-comedy song I ever wrote. <laughs> uh, just because that was such a vivid story other than what movie I saw with Patty. Um, I definitely remember the other bits and pieces of it pretty well. <laughs> well, not a Friday night as much as a Saturday night, but nonetheless, here's the song I made up about it. Let's see, it goes like this. I woke up in a puddle of puked up beer in a parking lot. Last night is a blur, but I think I walked home a girl I like a lot. And Beaver's lost again, and it wasn't even close, and our stadium, it is no palace. What else you gonna do on a wet and windy November night in Corvallis? Friday night we met up with some friends at Dixon for hoops or maybe volleyball. to do as a student when you don't have any money at all If we got a few bucks between us we could pick us up some beer if the store would allow us It's nice to have a friend who's at least 21 to have a fun night in Corvallis Team still needs work, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And the folks still show up and cheer after they drink their beer through a hose and a funnel. It's the best college town in the whole Pac-12, no matter how much shade the ducks throw at us. Every day, but we know how to play on a week.
Taking night in Corvallis And maybe if you don't have any midterms coming up right away And you got all your homework done And your laundry's already washed And your dad gave you a couple of bucks And said, hey, don't tell your mother about this But I want you to have a fun college experience To go out, have a good time with your friends sometime on me You can have fun on a Wednesday night in Corvallis All right, a mostly comical song built off of the back of November 16th, 1991. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. Anybody that went to Oregon State can probably relate to that pretty well. <laughs> and uh, I sure thank you for listening. I uh, don't know when the next episode's going to come because my day job is going to get a little bit hairy, but uh, I'll see what happens, see what other stories I either have or that I need to make up. Hope you had a good one. Uh, thank you for joining me on Uncle Pete's story time. We'll see you next time, whenever that'll be. Take care now. Bye bye then.